As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Together, we'll explore and enjoy content and conversations around mastering transitions. In our relations, our wellness, our careers, our families, and especially in our missions and visions. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I have with me a new friend and an old friend and somebody whom I respect dearly and greatly. She's known for her emergent and responsive teaching style. Tracy Stanley, welcome to the podcast. Mm, Thank you so much, Elena. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, it's a real treat to have you. Um, You share teaching sourced from more than 20 years of practice and study as a lineaged teacher of Sri Vidya Tantra. You share rituals of devotion through the practices of yoga nidra, self-inquiry, nature as our best teacher, Hmm. and ancestor reverence. You're the creator of the Empowered Life Self-Inquiry Oracle Deck, which was my first introduction to you. And you are the author of Radiant Rest, which I think is the most important book of 2021. And I have shared Mm. it as such. That's my feeling. Mm. Radiant Rest is uh, Yoga Nidra for Deep Relaxation and Awakened Clarity. It was published by Shambhala Publishing. Just write it down, my listener. Radiant Rest. Tracy Stanley has two E's, not a Y. Okay. This book is such a combination of science and spirit and practice. I instantly was drawn to it. You actually sent me the manuscript, Mm -hmm. which... I don't know if I've shown you in person, but we've talked about it a number of times. It is like soaked through from the tub, (laughs) written on every page, folded on every page. It's been to the sauna. Um, I'm going to reference the pages in the manuscript. So hopefully we can cross-reference the pages in the book as well. Okay. I want to start by just talking about brainwaves because I think that's a really good place to begin for someone who's listening to us right now. Hi, our dear listener who might not know what yoga nidra is and how it impacts the action and activity in the brain. I would love for you to sort of expound on that a little bit. Mm. Well, for those of you who are listening right now, most likely you are in beta brainwaves. If you're kind of relaxing and listening to us, you might be in low beta This is the place where our awareness is kind of awake in the world and external. Beta, you could be maybe attending a lecture just like we're doing now, but you might be doing something else at the same time. So some of you might be cooking and listening to this or doing some other activity and listening to this. And when you're in high beta, you are in a state of high anxiety or excitement. So you can imagine yourself maybe even at a party well, pre-COVID time, where you would need to introduce yourself to everybody. You'd be in high beta. The moment we start to bring our awareness internal, like let's say we're going to go into a meditation, one of the first things we might do is close our eyes. 
And so when we close our eyes, we start to move into this place of alpha. And that means that our attention is just directed inward. And we're starting to just withdraw the senses a little bit. But we're still aware of our outside activity. So if someone rings the doorbell while you're in meditation, you're going to know that the doorbell has rung. But as we start to go deeper into this practice of yoga nidra and we start to kind of notice our body breathing and our parasympathetic nervous system starts to turn on, we start to move into this deeper place of meditation, which is theta. And that's very common that it's a deep place of kind of bliss and silence um, that we experience in meditation. And, you know, they've done experiments on meditators, and this is a very common place for the brain to be moving in predominant activity with meditators. But the interesting thing about yoga nidra practitioners and people who've been doing yoga nidra for a long time, and even sometimes maybe even your first chance of doing yoga nidra is that we we move into this place of delta. And delta is really this place of deep dreamless sleep. It is a place that if you could be in, let's say, an induced coma, you would be in delta. So that means that the body is asleep, the mind is shut off, all external awareness has been completely closed off, and you're really, really deep internal. So you really shouldn't be conscious of what is happening around you when you're in the delta state. But when we're in this practice of yoga nidra, it really is asking us to be awake and aware to all the states of consciousness, which some could say also correlate to the brainwave states. And so delta is this deep, deep place where we really shouldn't be aware of what's happening. And some of the experiments that have been done have shown that uh, people who have been doing yoga nidra for a long time have been hooked up to the EEG to measure the brain waves. And even while they are talking to the technicians, while they're being strapped in and or hooked up, they are already in the delta state. So it's just amazing. I mean, obviously there's so much being learned about our brain, but to know that we can traverse these different brain waves and the brain waves are always happening simultaneously. It's not like you're just in one brain wave at one time, but there's one that's more predominant. And so it's said that when we're in yoga nidra, we can reach these deep, deep states of delta, which are these places of like deep, deep healing and rejuvenation. Hmm. Page 28 of the book, you talk about the stages of sleep can also be measured by EEGs, you know, the machine. Apparently, the measurements of the brain activity through the EEG indicates that subjects were in a deeply uh, relaxed state similar to that of sleep during the entire yoga nidra. This is a study from uh, the late 90s in Copenhagen. Theta activity rose significantly on all 21 electrodes. Reduction of alpha activity was insignificant, showing that this meditative state, this is what was interesting to me, is altogether different from that of the sleeping state and comprises conscious awareness. I think this is like a very important fact for our listener to know because the state furthermore, as you, uh, as you wrote in the book, was constant and evenly distributed over the 21 electrodes around the whole brain 
for the 45 minutes the relaxation lasted. Mm -hmm. So as you surmised, not only did they produce brainwaves, but the people being studied also traveled through the states of consciousness represented by the sound and syllable um, A-U-M. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I love this because you and I, I consider both of us, you know, pretty geeky, mm -hmm. science-based, fact-based humans. And I'm not the kind of gal even to chant OM during my classes. I, I have an OM tattooed on my wrist from 1997. Me too. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, but I really appreciated the way that you broke down the symbol itself. And this is on page 29 in the book, the three states of consciousness and the fourth state. And this is kind of what the whole book and practice is predicated on. The deep sleep state is the sort of the three or the E, because my name's Elena, so I always see an E here, of the OM symbol on the top. Okay. Mm -hmm. The dreaming state is the sort of tail at the right side. The waking state is the bottom half of the E or the three. Mm -hmm. The veil of illusion is Maya, and that's the sort of half moon that sits just up to the upper right of the E, the top of the E. And then that little dot in the half moon, just above it, is what's known as Turiya. And I was thinking it might be helpful for our listener. We know what the waking state is. We know what the dreaming state is. We even can pretty much know what this deep sleep state is. But talk to us about Maya and Turiya, because I think this is crucial in understanding the, the deep value of Yoga Nidra. Mm. So Maya can be translated as illusion. And we can also think about Maya as the avidya, right? The misperceptions. And what are those misperceptions kind of comprised of? They're comprised of our samskaras, which are the mental impressions everything that happens to us in life is a samskara. So us having this conversation right now is a samskara. We're filing this in our brain and our energetic body somewhere as good, bad, or neutral. And the accumulation of those samskaras creates a coloring, which is basically known as a vasana. And if that vasana or that coloring stays on for a long time, it starts to create habits, right? And if the habits become concretized or the vasana, the coloring becomes concretized, it then becomes your personality. And so if we think about it, then we start to see through the lens of the coloring as opposed to the lens of clarity and the lens of truth. Or and reality. Become, or reality, right? And we become identified with the personality. It's like, this is who I am. And so yoga in general, which yoga nidra is a full system of yoga, asks us to start to really be able to dissolve and burn those seeds of karma, right? Because now we're creating karma because we are in this habitual pattern and personality loop that just keeps bouncing from Chittakasha, which is the storehouse of our memories, to the ego. And we can't get out of that loop because we don't know that we can turn our face towards the light of buddhi or the light of discernment. And so that creates suffering and it creates pain because we don't know how to get out of it. And 
yoga nidra is this practice of dissolution. It's a laya yoga practice and it's a pratyahara practice. So pratyahara, if we think about that brainwave state of alpha, where we're bringing our awareness internal, it's very similar because we're withdrawing our senses from the external to the internal. And that we do that so that we can expand back into our origin and reassimilate into our true nature. And so this process of yoga nidra, in a way, to me, I feel like that, that little half moon of the maya is like the portal that we move through when we practice so that we can move towards Turiya. And Turiya is this place that is said to be beyond all the other states, but it is the unknown knower, which I love because we just have to go, we have to surrender into the unknown. And so Turiya is also said to be this place of complete non-doing and it is beyond all thought. So it's a place of nirvikalpa. So when we're in this space, we don't even know that we're in this, in this place because we've transcended the koshas, we've transcended the ego, and we're just resting back in our true nature. And there's a, a quote that's in the book that I really love. Um, it's on page 31. Yes, on page 31. Ramananda Which one? Or there's Rama? two of them. Which one? Well, I'll read one and you read the other. Okay, I'll, read Ra- I'll, I'll read Ramananda. <laughs> so that which is threading through these three states and even surpasses the sense I am is what you are. This is the fourth state, Turiya. And that was Swami Ramananda, and this is Swami Rama. Waking, dreaming, and deep sleep states are states where duality is experienced. For the experiencer is different from the experience itself. But the fourth state, Turiya, is a non-dualistic state which is compared to the silence into which one is led by Om. So it's so beautiful to, to prioritize the leaving behind all the things that define us and spend 20 minutes a day in that state. Yeah, and you know, you, when we think about it, and we think about over the course of the decades that we've been practicing and the people listening, however long you've been practicing and the many times that you've chanted Aum. And how many times did we really pause for the silence? And when we listen to Aum, when it's being chanted in classes, most of the time, the heaviness in the om, the predominance is in the ah sound, right? It's like, um, we're actually focusing more on the waking state, even in our om. So, you know, for anyone who's listening, the next time that you chant om, think about those states of consciousness as you're chanting. They even have places that are associated with them in the body. So like the ah sound is associated with the third eye center. 
and the oo sound is associated with the throat. And then the mm sound is associated with the heart center, the spiritual heart center deep behind the sternum. And then the silence is continuing to go deeper and deeper and deeper into the cave upon cave upon cave, the innermost cave of the heart. That was a really helpful description, I am sure, for myself and for my listener. So you're breaking up the sound of OM, as we've done many times in classes, into these four stages. And that little silence after is the deepest state, and that's the state that we fall into during Yoga Nidra. Would you even say fall into, or would you say reveal? How how do you, if I may be so Mm. crass, what's your elevator pitch for Yoga Nidra? How do you explain (laughs) it to people? You know, I feel like Yoga Nidra is this accessible practice of returning to yourself. That's well done. And what we get from doing the practice is feeling deeply rejuvenated, clear, and radiant. And I love that you said reveal, because that is what it is. It's like we're not creating anything in Yoga Nidra. It is a revealing because the covering of all of the things that have happened to us in life is the illusion. And so the dissolution, remembering that this is a Laya yoga practice, allows us to reveal and to be revealed to our own selves. You know, that that was definitely the experience that I had when I first practiced what I thought at the time was a shava, like a guided shavasana, and then learned later that it was really more of a deep relaxation practice, was this inner peace and bliss and deep knowing. Ramana Maharshi described Turiya as the mind in quiescence, aware of mm-hmm. self, page 35. There is the awareness that the mind has merged in its source. That to me, and that's been taught to us many, many times by so many different teachers, the mind merging in its source is what I want to talk about next, because you've described the koshas, it's like the perfect segue, the coverings, you've described the koshas in a really salient, helpful way to me, so much so that I finally feel comfortable teaching about them, which I never did. The the mind merging in its source Can you just talk about that for a second as the very thing, the very, I don't know, energy, entity, if you will, toward which we're moving when we release all of these koshas and Mm. get to Turiya? Yeah, it's really a true surrendering. And when we surrender, because most of the time we have this identification with the physical body, right? At least I know I did when I first came to yoga. It was like, oh, it's all about the body. And then at some point I realized, well, wait a second, I'm starting to feel like some tingling and movement and energy. And I'm being directed to move my energy from one place to another, and I can actually feel it. 
So as we move through the practice of yoga nidra and we can describe it in a linear way, um, even though it's not a linear process because healing just isn't linear, but we talk about it as in a linear way so that we can understand it. So we're, we're lying down, we allow our, our, you know, body to, to deeply rest and start to systematically be guided to relax. And when we do that, then we start to, at some point, become aware that, oh, wait a second, I'm more than just my body. I'm actually energy. And you can maybe even feel this feeling that the body has dissolved and you're not really sure where the you begin and the floor ends or, or you end and the floor begins. And at some point, perhaps there's an image or there's a sound or there's a thought. And instead of doing what we normally do in life and grab on to that and try to make meaning out of it, we allow it to dissolve and we also let that surrender. And then we just keep moving through these koshas until all that's left is really prana, which is this vital intelligence. And we allow prana then to guide us back to source. And I really feel that that journey is just like, it's the ultimate trust. And it's the ultimate faith that there is something higher that is intelligent, that's guiding us back to the place within us that knows. And as Swami Rama said, it's a place the inside of us that knows and knows that it knows. Yeah. That's like, that's where everything makes sense, where everything is true and everything is manageable. Tell me, what about folks who have been uh deeply traumatized at some point in their lives, they come to Yoga Nidra and they are really having trouble with the practice of lying still and lying down with their front body exposed. I work with a, f mm. a, a few folks like this and I, I just would love to get some of your insight into how to work with folks like that. Mm, that's a beautiful and very important question. And you know, you said something about lying still. And I think for those of us who've been doing yoga nidra for a long time, the original instruction, at least the one that I received um, in many different traditions, was lie perfectly still. Don't move a muscle. That in itself- Very triggering. Yeah. To anyone, yeah, let alone someone who has experienced trauma, no. So this is my personal opinion. This idea of lying completely still needs to go. <laughs> I really believe that we have to give ourselves and students permission to be able to move and adjust at will, to know that it's okay to open your eyes, to know that the position to practice yoga nidra while traditionally it was taught in Shavasana, it can be done in any position. You can do yoga nidra standing up. You can do it sitting down. You can do it leaning against the wall with your eyes open, looking towards the door. 
You can bring in a trusted friend or pet into the room so that it feels more safe for you. I highly recommend people being able to advocate for themselves and really speak up for what they need. Um, Some people feel um, more comfortable with a weighted blanket. Some people don't like a weighted blanket because it makes them feel more anxious. So I really feel like before practicing yoga nidra, that whoever is practicing and whoever the teacher is that's guiding them, there needs to be a discussion about what feels comfortable. And sometimes allowing the body to dissolve, especially if you're used to um, situations where you disassociated, they're not healthy right now. So what we do is we keep you in the body and just observing um, the body itself and the feelings and the sensations in the body and being able to work with that and being able to be in relationship, I feel, with the earth so that the earth can hold you as well as um, creating energetic uh, circles of protection that allow you to kind of rest inside of a sacred abode so you feel protected. Um, Those practices are in the book. I also think that just making sure that the person who is guiding you is just aware that trauma exists and wants to honor the fact that this is your experience as opposed to asking you to push through because that um, has definitely been something that I've experienced in classes where it's kind of like it's pushed off to the side as this is not important. That angers me. couple of things. Energetic protection practice mm-hmm. is on page 69 in the book for our listener, and it's brilliant, and it takes five minutes, and it's a way for you to create literally a circle of protection that is three layers deep, and each layer has a different function. I find this so comforting. And I've taught it to, and and as Tracy has said herself, she encourages us, you and I, to use these practices for our own teaching. This is one beautiful way that we can honor Tracy as our teacher. Secondly, I want to lead into Octavia's story because I think it's important. This is on page 56 in the book, Octavia Rahim. Um, she's the author of the book, Gather. I pray to all the gods that she will come on this podcast at some point. She finds the practice of inviting her ancestors to rest along with her in yoga nidra practice to be a powerful experience. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, it's um, it's interesting because I had an experience where I was teaching and I was actually um, in the South. And I felt the presence of my grandmother, who I call her my Nana. She was actually my great grandmother, but she raised my mom. And I felt her giving me instruction. And I was like, oh, this is interesting because I am connected and I honor my ancestors. I have an ancestor altar. But there was an instruction um, that I felt really something that it was a moment of kind of taking my own personal practice of honoring my ancestors and creating space for my ancestors to rest 
into a public class. And what happened in that class was just so healing that I realized that I, this is something that I needed to share. And I feel like we have so much trauma, especially those of us in black and brown bodies. And we all have trauma, whether we know it or not. And a lot of that trauma is intergenerational. And so this, I really feel, is a way for us to heal that. I feel like when we allow ourselves to rest and we remember our ancestors, especially those who are well in spirit and they allow us to be and feel protected because we can ask our ancestors to come into those circles of protection as well, that it really starts to create healing both forward and back not only for our lineage forward, but for those who came before us. So beautiful. And so I love Octavia's story. It's, it's beautiful. And we've talked many times um, about our ancestors. And I've done a lot of work with uh, Daniel Four, who's the author of uh, Ancestral Medicine. And, you know, this is real. This is real. People do these practices without even really considering their ancestors and their ancestors come to them. You know, she said in her written aspect of your book on page 58, she said, stillness awakened me to how much generational weariness and bone deep ancestral fatigue I carried. Mm -hmm. I just want to highlight that for particularly the women, but also obviously the men of color. I want to highlight mm -hmm. that for you because I feel the quote unquote discomfort from doing nothing from all these years that you have been inculcated with the need to be useful and exceptional and perfect and all of that needs to fall away. And as Tracy always says, to realize that it is your birthright to rest. Yeah, and if, if we really want to think about it, that birthright was taken away the moment the first slave arrived on this continent. That birthright was taken away, and it, at least people tried <laughs> to take it away. And it continues to be a thing that people have tried to take away. The, the, the right and the birthright to rest, to rejuvenate, because there's kind of this innate knowing, I think, within all of us that rest is required to thrive. If you are exhausted and you are beaten down, you are not going to be thriving. Whether you are not rested and you're beaten down because there's a system in place that is keeping that happening or you are re not resting and beaten down because that's just what you're doing to yourself. And we, you know, that thread can go all the way back to the first thing that I said. But it's, there's just not this desire to see black and brown people thriving. And so you're going to be denied all of the things that allow you to thrive, the first of which is rest. In fact, your life 
many generations ago might have been in jeopardy if you were caught resting because you weren't brought to this country to rest. You were brought to work and to do. And that still lives in ourselves. On page 59, you have a self-inquiry prompt, a series of them at the bottom. What relationship do you have with your ancestors or family lineage? I'm particularly speaking to uh, my Black and Brown and Indigenous listener, but all of us can do this work. What is your Mm -hmm. understanding of how trauma might be present in your lineage? I can speak to the Holocaust. I can speak to persecution Mm -hmm. of Jews the world over. Take a few minutes, third prompt, or as long as you need to free write about any emotions or feelings that arise when you consider the lives of those who've come before you. And I want to say, listener, that throughout this book, as I turn the pages, there are inquiries that will help you to see the potency and the profundity of the need for rest that will become a first be a samskara and then become one of those vasanas. And your whole life will be colored by this understanding. May it be so. Um, Mm. You go on, I want to just skip over to Pratyahara because this for me is something very important. Page 66, the essential step. It's the fifth limb of yoga. As we know, those of us who practice yoga, study yoga, it's the ability to withdraw our attention away from the outside world and into our inner world. You offer us a 10 to 15 minute pratyahara practice here on page 67. And we spoke just before our listener as to the possibility of Tracy offering us a practice, which I think is completely sound. And it doesn't have to be this one, but I thought it might be nice to talk about pratyahara first and then lead us into a practice of your own uh, desire. Mm. I'd love to lead this pratyahara practice So, yeah, I mean, Pratyahara, in the book, I call it the essential step. You know, it's really one of those limbs of yoga that we never really talk about. You know, we talk about asana, (laughs) that's for sure. And we talk about pranayama, but we don't really spend too much time on Pratyahara. And Pratyahara is the key. It really is the key, especially to yoga nidra. Again, that alpha brainwave state, moving your awareness internal so that you can start to rest and rest in your own being, not in your doing, but in your being, allowing that to bring you to the theta state and possibly deeper. So pratyahara we think about these senses, and there's um, there's a map of the mind in one of Swami Rama's books. I'll have to look it up to tell you for the show notes which book it is, but it's this image of the five senses coming into this box, and inside the box, uh, below the box, is this kind of container, and that's the the chitta, the storehouse of memories, and above the box is this other container, which is the ego, the ahamkara. And so we get this, these senses coming in. And as I spoke about before, we kind of bounce between what I remember from the past and what my ego tells me, right? And then that's kind of where we live. But if we 
look a little bit further on the other side of the box, there is this place of buddhi, which is the, the discernment. And on the just on the outside of the discernment is the light of knowing. And so this practice of pratyahara just allows us to follow the senses inward, notice that there is the storehouse of memories arising, notice that there's the ego that's coming in, the one that thinks it knows, and then remember that there is the light, there is the light of the soul, and allow ourselves to surrender, let those things settle so that we can move more towards the light of the soul and try to live from that place. And the more that we do it, the more we kind of attune ourselves to the vibration of what that light is, what that truth is. And I really feel like that can become the vibration that we live in as opposed to the vibration of the chaos of the, the mind going without any control from us. So I'd love to lead you in this pratyahara practice. And this practice can be done lying down on your bed in a comfortable place. It can be done in shavasana. It can be done sitting in your chair. If you're listening to this and you're parked waiting for someone to come out of an appointment and you're in your car, just recline the seat back a little bit and just allow your eyes to close if it feels okay. If it doesn't, then uh, keep your eyes open. And just begin by feeling the breath moving in and out of the body. So just notice that point right at the opening of the nostrils where you feel the breath move in for the very first time. And feel the skin of your nose being caressed by the breath. So you feel the breath riding on the roof of the nostrils. You notice the temperature of the in-breath and the out-breath. And you notice the difference between those temperatures. Just feel the moment that you feel the breath touch the nostrils and just follow the flow of breath in all the way someplace inside the lungs where the breath dissolves. Feeling into the transition between the inhale and the exhale. Noticing when the exhale begins and feel the breath warmer, moving out of the nostrils to someplace outside of the body where the breath dissolves. Continue this for the next couple of minutes. And as you do, just move into two-pronged awareness. So you are watching yourself breathe while also being aware that there is another part of you that is watching from a different perspective. It's as though you are watching yourself in a movie. One minute.
Now just continue being aware of the breath, feeling your navel rise on inhalation and your navel fall on exhalation. Notice what you feel as the navel rises and falls. Notice any sounds in your environment. And just gently allow your eyes to open, noticing what you feel in the body. Now close your eyes and look into the darkness beyond your eyelids. Now open your eyes halfway, feel the light filtering through. And close your eyes, looking into the darkness, feeling the sound starting to dissolve. Now one last time, just gently let the eyes gently open about a fourth of the way. Noticing what you sense and feel in the body. And then allow your eyes to close. Feeling as though you can see past the darkness. Allow yourself to settle and release, letting the earth hold you. Let your eyes stay closed if it feels comfortable. You're still aware that you are breathing. Notice any sounds. Let your awareness move from sound to sound to sound. And then draw your awareness of sound closer and closer. Notice now just the sound of your breath. the sound of your heart beating. The sound of the blood and the fluids moving through your body. Now let go of all awareness of sounds. Let all the sounds just be there in the distance. Notice all the body parts that are touching the floor or the chair and scan your body for these points of contact. Feel each point as though it's magnetized towards the earth. Scan through the whole body.
Now feel the space between your body and the floor. The space around your body. Feel yourself as the space around your body and rest in awareness. Feel yourself as space around the body. Remember that part of you was there before you had a body. Remember that part of you that was there when the world was created. Rest in knowing that you are eternal. You can pause this recording now and just rest in that awareness for as long as you like. Take your time. Rest. Rest deeply. If you're ready to come back, you can take your time to savor this transition from where you just were to moving into the waking state. It's a good time to journal or to free write. If that feels right for you, you can pause the recording and free write. If not, just come back and let the body stretch, take a few deep breaths, and just come back into the space, noticing the difference from where you just were to coming back into the waking state where the spine is parallel, or the spine is actually perpendicular to the earth. Come back. It's the first time I've done yoga nidra sitting up, and it was sublime. Thank you. Mm. Like, truly sublime. I feel like I got that rest that I was planning on getting after we end this. So thank you for that. You're welcome. And it's, you know, we don't need a half an hour or even an hour. We we can do these in many little five minute, 10 minute, you know, increments. Yeah. Yeah. It makes a big difference. I had a, I have a trainer who says, you know, if you can't do this, you know, set of three things four times in the next 10 minutes or 20 minutes, whatever, do one set and then come back and do another set, come back and do another set. It's the same with this. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, and it's actually beautiful because it's a way to weave it through you know, things happen during the day mm-hmm. and sometimes you just need to yeah. pause. <laughs> I very often after I do, like today's a day where I'm going to record two podcasts. So in between, I actually will take the lie down, set the timer, do a self-practice. I, I think lastly, I would love 
for you to talk about what the difference is between a guided practice and a self-practice, and then teach mm. our listener where he or she can find your work. Mm. So most of us, I think, were introduced to Yoga Nidra where we were guided, and guided practices can be beautiful because there's so much beautiful imagination and creativity happening with Yoga Nidra instruction right now. But for me, my practice began to deepen when I started to self-guide. I really feel like it helps us to really create that devotion and discipline to be able to keep awareness running through the thread because we are self-guiding. And in the book, the last chapter has tips on how to self-guide. But it really requires you first to kind of know the steps and to recognize that moment of sweetness where you start to fall into that hypnagogic state, which is the state between waking and sleeping. And when we start to recognize that, then we can start to kind of hover in that space. And that space is really the magical portal that takes us deeper and deeper into our practice. And so if you have a desire to self-guide, find a practice that you really love um, that is guided and just begin to kind of embody that practice and understand what the steps are that you don't have to memorize like word for word, but remembering that, okay, right now I'm laying down and then I'm focusing on the breath and then I'm moving through the body. And then there's something that's happening that's guiding me a little bit deeper. What is that that's guiding me a little bit deeper into the practice? And really then start to practice it on your own. Um, Self-guiding is just, that is the sweet spot of yoga nidra in my opinion. Yeah, I think I agree. A friend of mine and I, one of my best friends, just got breast surgery uh, two days ago for mm-hmm. uh, cancer and then reconstruction. And she and I were talking, I was going into acupuncture yesterday, and I was saying, I'm going for both of us because I know that she loves it so much. And she said, ooh, I'll I'll close my eyes and I'll meet you in Aculand. Mm. That which you're speaking about is the same that same in-between space when you're able to pick up and it happens before you go to sleep, it happens as you're doing yoga nidra, happens in acupuncture, maybe craniosacral, maybe even in massage. Mm -hmm. That space, our dear listener, find that. (laughs) Find that that space and hang in there because that's that's a healer, that space. That, That is absolutely true. And that's why I really believe yoga nidra is a practice of self healing as well. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a powerful, powerful thing. Thank you. Thank you. I want to thank all the gods and goddesses for bringing us together at Wanderlust back in the day. Vermont, yes. the first time I met you, I was like, <laughs> who are you? And can I hug you? And, yes, I remember. Oh, God, that was good. Yeah, and it was great. I, I thank all the gods and goddesses for bringing you here closer to me and for the few walks that we've had so far and the many, many to come, the friends that we share and will share. Um, Mm. Your work is critical, Tracy, and Mm. it means the world to me that you agreed to come on this podcast and that I, I have the great privilege of knowing you and being your friend. Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. I, I feel the same. And, um, you know, I feel like it was the goddess who brought me here and mm -hmm. my relationship with the, with her and the practice, um, has just deepened since I've been in the spaciousness of this land. So yes. Yes. happy to share, share that with you too. Thank, <sighs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Where, where can my listener find you, my love? Yeah, uh, find me at Tracy with two E's, yoga.com. And you can find the book at radiantrest.com. And everything you need to know is there. Instagram is Tracy Stanley. So yeah, thank you so much for having me, Elena. Thank you. We all love you. Thank you. Have a beautiful day. You too. Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.